Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest today is the artist and photographer Hassan Hajaj. Born in Morocco, as a child in the early 70s, he moved to London and over time came to embrace the urban mashup of cultures, fashion and nightlife which he encountered there, even opening a shop in Covent Garden in the 80s, which doubled as an outlet for his streetwear label and as a social hangout. In the 90s, he began photographing Moroccan culture using an irresistible mix of traditional and pop elements that call to mind the work of Malik Sidibe and Andy Warhol. Today, he is celebrated as Morocco's most prolific artist and spends his time between Marrakesh and his studio in East London, from where he spoke to me about his work and the things he put into his cabinet at 5 Carlos Place. Hi, Hassan. Hi, Daniel. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How's it going? Uh, good, yep, just uh, holding out, as they say, like everybody else, and yourself. Yeah, exactly, holding out, as they say. Um, we're recording this in July 2020, during the COVID-19-induced lockdown, and I believe we're both in London. Are you in your yeah. shop? Uh, today I'm at the studio, so um, I've basically done a lockdown for about five, six weeks with my team, and we just started coming to the studio the last two two weeks or so. You have a, a show on at the moment at Photographiska in Stockholm called Vogue, the Arab Issue. How's that going? Yes. Uh, well, you know, it started well. I went there in February for the opening installing and then they closed down and then they reopened. So I got no idea if people were going or not. So it's just something you have to let go. Um, I mean, they're open. It, it started, it was um, well perceived. The first few weeks was before the shutdown. And um, yeah, it's, it's weird because now because of the of this virus thing, you sort of, sort of some, almost forget the things that you have going on because you don't know if people making the effort. Uh, so it's an interesting time to see. Uh, but I think it seems to be going all right. I think there's less people going, obviously, uh, to do with you know um, security and stuff like that. And I loved your co cover of Billie Eilish for American Vogue. Yes. What was she like? What was she like to photograph? Uh, she was very nice, very professional for a young girl. She definitely has an old spirit in her. Um, it, the day went really smooth, you know, because for me it was it's not just about it wasn't just about my work. It's really to deliver a job for Vogue and also to make sure she's happy with the pictures. Uh, so it was an interesting day. Uh, she came with her mum and uh, I think her assistant, and you know they had the Vogue team there. And really, she was very good, very patient. You know, we started, she came on time and left later than what, you know, she had. But yeah, very interesting, you know, really, I sort of, you know, because I didn't know anything about it before I had the, um, you know, the, they offered me to do the shoot. And then when I Googled it, I realised I've been hearing the songs because they were playing it in every radio. And then I realised all the younger generation, like my cousins and stuff, when they heard I was shooting, they went crazy. So I didn't know what to expect because of her age. Uh, but she's definitely a very, very special girl. She's some, you know, she's got something um, very unique. 
I could see she's a long-term artist, definitely. Now you've talked about how you're influenced by a mashup of things, your North African heritage, food, fashion, art, music, London's club scene, hip hop, reggae. It's sort of a very contemporary idea as it sort of reflects how um, people see a mashup of things every day on the internet. I was just, could, could you talk a bit about what, what all these influences are and how they sort of well, manifest in your work? Well, I think it's pr probably journey of my life in a sense because you know I was born in Morocco um, until I was there until the age of thirteen, so I had all that background, you know, the culture of Morocco, the tradition, uh, the influence of everything that comes in Morocco. You know, we grew up uh, going to see Indian movies, Italian movies. You know, we, we, I lived in north of Morocco in Larache, a small town where I was born. You know, the radio was mainly Spanish because it's only like seven or twelve kilometers from Spain. I so, say, you know, you had all these influences from American movies, Indian movies, Egyptian movies, uh, you know, then also it was a hippie era. So, you know, you know, he was listening to, uh, you know, Bob Dylan and, um, you know, things like that that was coming from, you know, from that era of what so-called hippie, Jimi Hendrix. Then when I came to London in the 70s, it was like rediscovering myself in a new space, a new, you know, and, and another time. And that was really a beginning of another influence growing up on sort of, you know, uh, all types of music. Uh, in the first music I got into was probably reggae. Then, you know, it was a lot of stuff to do, you know, with soul, then hip hop. And, you know, it's just sort of, and then, you know, I had friends from Brazil, from India, from the Caribbean. So there's all these influences. And also what I did for my work, you know, I used to have a fashion shop. What I suppose now it's called Street Wear. You know, I opened up in 1984 called Rap. Um, so, you know, so it was an influences of all this. I ended up assistant styling a friend of mine called Andy Blake, who was just starting his career as a stylist. So I worked behind the scene in magazines and cut a few catwalk shows. I had another friend, Zach Ove, who's an artist now. He was doing some music videos. So I worked behind the scene music videos. I had the shop. And also I was running lots of parties in London for about 10 years. Um, so that was my university, you know, that, that's where all the mashup came in. That's where you could see maybe, you know, a fashion, you could see, you know, people from all over the, the globe, um, you know, the colour of Morocco. So I think that's where the mishmash of my work happened. Now, I, I think I told you that this um, podcast has a bit of a format to it. And in this podcast, we asked the, the guest on it to talk about some of the things that sort of represent them. I would say pen and paper because I sketch a lot. Is that how you start an idea for your photography or how does that feed into your creative process? So normally I would, you know, think of an idea um, where it's going to be, sorry, and then um, sort of do some sketching of, uh, of the shoot. Uh, so I'll give you, I'm working on a project, for example, something like this. To give you. Oh, nice. So you're holding up a um, drawing. Yeah, so I'll give you an idea. Sorry, then I'm moving too fast. So. And what am I looking at here? So this is a project I'm working on with um, Heron Perfume in Paris. Uh, they just asked me maybe to do a couple pictures for Instagram. Um, and because of, you know, shut down, I thought it would be quite interested. interesting. It's an old perfume uh, company from 1904. Uh, it's sort of, you know, very, I suppose, they have the down audience, obviously, for a long time. They, you know, they have a push-up 
so I'm trying to push the buttons with them to have an artist to in the in the image that would normally have nothing to do with this type of perfume and trying to also have a message within that so it's two pictures i've got produced so i'm right in the middle of working on that so you know with ideas chin and then you know then from there trying to make, make it come alive um and and also i don't use diary so this is my this is my um for today this is thursday so this is what i have to okay. do today yeah. So it's your to-do list plus the days of the week yeah. right now, yeah. Yes. So, the, yeah, so I've got day paid per day. So, so you know, and I think I like doodling with the pen. It's having that pen and, you know, the releasing. So I'm not really good with to, to do stuff on the laptop and stuff like that. Uh, I need it to be in front of me um, and that I could put my hands on. So that's pen and paper, I suppose. Um, you, you found your artistic voice in the early 90s when you started to photograph Moroccan culture. Um, you've spoken in the past that you were sort of trying to break down some of the tired Western taboos of um, sort of received Western ideas of Arab culture. Yes. Um, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, basically, you know, I came here in the 70s, you know, um, and I think at that point of time, the hippie era was just kind of becoming not so fashionable. It was going coming into like the glam rock, and you know, so it was another time it was moving from the hippie era. And Morocco was very much fashionable around that, you know, the late 50s, 60s, early 70s. You had all, you know, like all the writers, like Paul Bowles and people like that. So it was very jazz players. So it had a moment. And then when the hippie era went away, sort of Morocco became part of that. So when I arrived here and I said I was from Morocco, lots of people would say, oh, you know, Pafdan, Bajin, Sahara, Camel, Hashish. It was that kind of very caricature. But then, yeah, all my friends around me, you know, if you said Brazil, you're going to say, you know, Gilberto, Pele, Samba, Rio de Janeiro, Copacabana. It's immediately there's something beautiful and cool about the place. Or if you say Jamaica, you're going to say, you know, Bob Marley and, and on and on. So I felt, I had all these influences around me, you know, from uh, graffiti artists, filmmakers, designers, and being Moroccan, it was the kind of from Morocco. It was this kind of conversation came into it. So my work really was, um, I would say, from early nineties. I just shot lots of Arabic products and printed them on, played with them on Photoshop, printed them on canvas, and I created a salon, a, uh, signs, shops turned into tables. You know, the Coca-Cola crates turned upside down to make it a seat. And we kind of built this environment with these photography pieces on the wall. And I would invite my friends. I mean, I didn't say it's art, to be honest with you, but I would invite my friends to kind of listen to Arabic music and mix it with things that influenced me. So it was also my journey. And that was really to turn on my friends, graphic designers, graffiti artists, designers, to say, look, you know, we can be cool. So I think it started from there. And then the photography... I was shooting lots of people in the 90s and, and with, as I grew up with like all, all the counterfeit brands, I was buying the fabrics and turning, you know, the additional clothing and then set up a scene, kind of cinematic scene for people to look at and kind of where it is, what they think of it. So that was sort of slightly like that. Can we talk about some of your work specifically? Um, I suppose the most famous one is... Kesh Angels. Yeah, so Kesh Angels. Kesh is short for Marrakesh. And Angels, I took the Hell's Angels word because I look at that as a product. So I turned it to Kesh Angels. Um, it's, a, it's a Marrakesh, it's a city of mopeds. 
uh, it's, uh, you know, you really, because of the Medina layouts, you really have to have a moped to get around. And so you see a really mismatch of everybody with bikes. So I just decided to really take idea bikes and shoot some of my friends uh, wearing, you know, I would, um, lots of the pictures, I would literally buy the, <coughs> the fabrics and turn them into these uh, outfits and trying to make them kind of cinematic, awkward maybe for some people, you know, does it really happen? Um, so it kind of grew from there and it was presenting this culture of, you know, the female bikers, mainly in veils and lots of different work, you know, veils, but I mainly showed that. And that seemed to hit, you know, touch with, you know, really, really people for some reason. And it was, but there was also, as well as they're wearing veils and they're also wearing these heart-shaped plastic frame sunglasses, yeah. um, which sort of add this element of pop. And then they've also yeah. got a real, they've got a real attitude, haven't they? That sort of, they've got a, quite a defiant attitude, which in turn makes it seem sort of cool and contemporary. Yeah, I mean, you know, I when I decided to shoot this, I shot a lot of friends of mine. There's some of the girls are from the Jamat Fnaz Square. They do henna, henna there. They're very tough, you know. They like women everywhere. They're hardworking. They're very tough, you know. They they sort of running their family. Um, so they're really, you know, it was a presentation of their attitude. Though it might, it might be a pretty picture. The the idea was really to have the spirit of the person giving the image something stronger than just you know me sort of having this thing posed uh, in a sense in front of me so it sort of started that way and that really came across and um, and i literally used friends that normally have the bikes um you know it could be my the friend from my, my neighborhood it could be a friend of my my friend's wife who may be working in a restaurant it could be a you know friends of mine who are contemporary dancers and so i just kind of created this and kind of studied of the composition, how people would recline on the bike, how they would set. So I kind of played on this and reset up with some kind of reality and fantasy. Why is it important that you photograph your friends? Um, because that's how it started from the beginning. Uh, th there's normally a comfort, a trust, um, you know, a playful, an understanding. Uh, and that's why also when I started to put the photography out I really took my time because I didn't want to put them in the wrong place um, because it was easy I had quite a lot of offers to do shows but I didn't feel they were the correct places for them so it, I took time with them you know I mean some of the pictures were taken in the 90s I probably didn't show Cash Angels till uh, 2010 the first show so literally it was about nearly 14-15 years worth of body work before I did the first show with that um, and I've kind of carried on working from that. And it's normally friends or friends of friends. So there's a, um, and at the beginning it was a bit tough because you don't have anything to show. But obviously now because of social media and my work is on, uh, you know, um, uh, you, um, what you call it, Google and stuff like that. So now when people come, I, I can see some of them, they come prepared to do a pose, what they've seen, <laughs> which I think quite, I find it quite funny. Um, <laughs> is that they come yeah, to you, was, when you say they come to you, is that in your space in Hackney? In London. So yeah, so I shoot. So all my photography is shot in the street. Um, I never shoot in the studio because I normally use daylight because I'm not a technical photographer when it comes to lighting. Uh, so I normally shoot outside my shop in Old Street in the street, and in Marrakesh I shoot in my Riyadh. It has a courtyard with uh, you know obviously a no no ceiling. Um, so yeah, so that, let's say that's my two studios that I'm normally shooting. But really, the last. 15, 20 years, I've shot 
in the streets of LA, New York, Dubai, Kuwait, Paris, um, you know, wherever I go, if I find the subjects I want to work with, I'll just look at location somewhere then and, and go for it from there. And your images, you use a frame to decorate the edge of your images, which often features like tin cans um, from like local produce, which I think is where the um, comparison to Andy Warhol has come from. Yeah. You're often called the Andy Warhol of Morocco. Um, can you talk a bit about how you use found objects in your work? So yeah, my early work, what I was spoke about earlier on, was about Arabic products that I shot in the 90s, and I showed it. You know, uh, as I said, it was called, the title of the show was uh, called Graphics from the Souk. Um, but when I wanted to show my photography, I wanted to to bridge part of that work into photography. And it was easy for me to think to use the cans around the frames because then also you have to remember when I was showing, let's say, late 90s photography, it was very hard to have photography in, uh, in the contemporary art world. It was just starting to be accepted in some areas of the, of the art world, but it's not like how it is now. And um, I thought that, you know, that could be a good mark in my work. So I don't just have a print. It, it comes with a frame as a, you know, as a finished piece of work. Well, and also, I was using very international products that people could read, even if it's in Arabic, they know where it is. And I was also using lots of local products that maybe people want to see outside the country. Um, and also, I'm using also the kind of repeated patterns we have in the gilets and the patterns of, you know, the tiles. So I was playing around with this kind of notion, and I found um, by having this, also it communicated to people easy. So it's like... Sadly enough, a lot of the times when people look at my work, they might see the Coca-Cola can and say, look, Coca-Cola before looking at the image. But I found this was a good communication. At least you have their, you know, their sort of uh, attention. And then they can see others and, and discover something, you know, new within that. Um, so really, that's how, that's how it started. And um, it's become part, obviously, of my work. And I also, you know, when I used to go to the museums, um, you know, when you see the old painting from 1600 or 1800, you see this beautiful painting with this beautiful frame that was specially made for that piece of work at that time, and it's still on that. So I kind of wanted, wanted to use this kind of idea in my work as well. It's like the frame is part of the of the work. What about going back to your list of things that you said that you put into our um, cabinet at the Passport? You mentioned a passport. Uh, passport because the last few years it just seemed to be in uh, you know uh, sort of crazy traveling more than ever before you know some uh, mad journey so it seemed like I've always have to have a bag of clothing and a passport sort of at hand uh, just you know because uh, for example you asked me about Billy Ellis you know I was I think I was in Dubai shooting you know that came from just last minute and then while I was shooting I'll get a call about doing Billy Ellis like literally 10 days later, which I had to come to London for two days and then fly to LA, come back to London. So it's, it's been like one of those few years. Um, so that's why I probably said the passport. It's just something that's, um, you know, it seems to be um, like with the pen and paper. And I've, you can see the influence of the Malian photographers, Malik Sidibe and Sadie Keita in your work. Yeah. Um, and they show images of um, Marlians having having fun and out out and about partying and it, to me it, looked, it really reminded me of images from Studio 54 in New York in the 70s. No 100% so I think my journey with the impacts of photography 
You know, when I was growing up in Morocco, I had three pictures of myself in Morocco. Uh, one, I think, when I must have been about a year old. Uh, and a couple when I was just before I left Morocco. And there was for Bibi that you would go with the family, dress up, and you would have a picture taken, which I did. You know, so, so I had to sit with my, my, de- uh, my sisters. And that picture, we did it so we can send it to my dad to London because he came in the 60s. So I remember dressing up for this and being in the studio with the lighting and, you know, the, the backdrop and stuff like that. So it was one of the first acts. That's what, that's what we used to call downtown photographer. The second photographer would be downtown. But there was a roundabout where in the evening, like Spain, people would go out, you know, walk around with their family, uh, mainly with kids, you know, because people being at home all day working and stuff and maybe have a coffee and some cakes and stuff like that, merienda. And there used to be another photographer and he would have a plastic horse, a racing car and something else. And then as a kid, you can dress up as a cowboy and you could, you know, sit on the horse and the picture would be taken of you. And then three or four days later, you go back and you get your picture as a postcard. And the third photographer was the summer photographer. So in the summer, when everybody would go to the beaches, there'd be like a few photographers walking around with so many cameras around their neck. And this was really like a memory of summer. You had pictures with friends. So the photographer would come and take pictures of you and your friends. You get a piece of paper, you put a deposit. And then a few days later, he'd be walking around and he'd give you the print. So this was my first impact of photography. You know, when I started doing the studio shoots, obviously there was that influence, but I also looked at people like Malik Sidibi and Fosso and on and on. You know, there were similar photographers in that period of time. And really, maybe it wasn't looked at being as art photography at that time. It was really just for, you know, for the local people. And also, uh, in that when you look at Malik Sidibi's work, it represents an era, a time, uh, independency of the country. So it has that you know, using this method of photography that's been scattered around the globe and all my friends I'm taking pictures of, I have the same as me. So it becomes about documenting. So hopefully in maybe 20, 30 years time, some of those pictures you can see like my friend Pastel who's Brazilian, I shot him in London. Jose James, American, I shot him in London. Uh, Kaziah Jones is Nigerian, I shot him in Paris. So it creates this new movement that's been scattered around the globe that we didn't have it time as Malik Sadibi. So I'm capturing this and also I wanted to do it in my own way, as I say, with the framing and, you know, push the buttons. So it's using the same style of photography, studio photography, but kind of make it not updated, but just the moment. And so that's, that's how I analyze the, the, the work. And also I wanted to say something with the pictures, not just pretty pictures. So that, you know, there's a series called My Rock Stars and it's about friends, friends of friends. And it could be a boxer, man, belly dancer, henna girl, uh, design and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and your yeah, your your Rockstar series. When you've been, that's been an ongoing series that you've been updating over the years, and it's like your personal heroes. Yeah. So you know, well, you know, let's say some of the work you spoke about, Cash Angels, and uh, you know, uh, Nos Nos, and a couple of other shows. Them on the rocking side, and obviously my rock, my rock star, my rock star is more me being in London, the people that influenced me, friends that I grew up with, uh, you know. The, so I had a journey with um so it was really sort of capturing this incredible you know it was very lucky because of all the things i did in the 80s and 70s running clubs and stuff i met so many creative people and then uh, you know when i started taking the first few pictures i was like wow there's hundreds of people and again it's about documenting so it's a long you know because i'm doing them in volumes as well so it's a it's something that i'll probably do 
you know, for the rest of my life, inshallah. <laughs> because there's, there's so many people that... Uh, How important is it to you that your art is accessible? Very. Um, you know, because I was a kid, must, you know, when we left school, I left school at 15, no qualifications, uh, you know, and in five for about seven years. We was the kind of kids would be very uncomfortable to go into a gallery or a museum. We'll probably find it boring once we're in there. Um, so, so it was really important for me to have the type of people in my pictures up to so they have an opportunity. And these kind of people that growing up in the same way as I did, if they get a chance to go and see my work, they can see something closer to to them to themselves. So for me, it's very important. It's for everybody, you know. And, and I've been very lucky because I think with the colours. Probably say the products around the frame. It's really, you know, I've been sometimes really amazed. It's sort of the kids like it. All types of people, black and white, Chinese. I mean, all types of people seem to to like the work. I mean, I'm sure there's people obviously, you know, might disagree with this, but when you know the the positive side I'm getting from people, it's been incredible. So it hasn't it hasn't had any barriers. It's a specific type of person likes the work. So the kids come, they see Coca Cola, even then I look at the picture you know you've got their attention kind of thing so so it's very important for me now let's tell me about the other things that you put into your um cabinet you've got a pen and pencil and paper uh, and you've got a passport well oh yeah my camera <laughs> of course uh yeah so my what, camera sort of, and, what sort of camera is it uh you know i'm not a big camera person it originally used to be a, a pentax mx which was film and then i had Believe it or not, really cheap cameras like in the con 80 and 90 that you know, from a lot of photographers probably laugh at me. Uh, at the moment, I've just got a, a Fuji that I'm using. The camera is really important because you never know, you know, I just always take my camera with me. And most of the time, I would say something happens um, with, with, you know, once I'm there. Um, so this is important i think the next thing i would put in is outfits because i didn't realize when i'm traveling i'm always you know I, when i unpack when i get to the house i realize i have hardly any of my clothes that i'm wearing and i have loads of outfits for the shoots so i would normally take like a few outfits male and female just in case um so that would be the next thing um for the for the shoots so i'm How always you... ready <laughs> <laughs> Are you are you into fashion? Because you had like I know you mentioned it already, but you had your um, label that you sold at your shop in Covent Garden in the eighties, a streetwear label. Are you into fashion and clothing um, today? Yeah, I mean, I, what was great, you know, when I did the the store wrap, you know, I was selling. You know, it started with um, people that was just coming out of college. My friends that had nowhere to to sell stuff. Uh, then I started bringing stuff from New York and kind of mashing up with things like I was selling John Smedley's, Corgi socks, uh, Butler and Cross sunglasses and mixing up with like secondhand Levi's and Haynes t-shirts and sort of tracksuits from public school. So I was really trying to create something. And then within that, I started making stuff under the name of my shop, Rap, um, you know, just kind of freestyling. And by late 80s, I was doing, you know, working as an assistant now and then with a friend of mine, Andy. And I got to a stage where I was selling, um, it was a cool, it, at that time there was a diffusion range that came in. Um, so I was selling like John, Gall John Galliano's diffusion range, um, Vivian Westwood, Nick 
Nick Coleman, is it Nick Coleman or Nick, Nick somebody like that. So there was like a few of these designers that were big, but they were doing this diffusion range at Duffers of St. George's. So I was kind of, you know, trying to create something. Um, but when I, um, you know, I did some trade shows. I worked in Michiko Kachino fashion shows, you know, um, like catwalk shows. Um, so I, I, I'll show you a funny picture in a minute, actually. I just found it a, a few months ago. Um, so that, that was really my fashion time, let's say, you know. Um, but I think since the photography, I'm just making stuff from my pictures that obviously has an influence from that time into my pictures. And all my stuff I'm doing, maybe it's the frustration of fashion, and maybe it's something that I want to wear and it's probably too much for me. Um, I've also, it's making something out of nothing. So I'm really working with the cheapest fabrics, you know, working with artisans to make my stuff and trying to create something that's, you know, looks retro, something maybe it's now, maybe it's the future. Um, so I would say there is there, but if you ask me who's any designers now, I wouldn't know if, you know, I haven't been to, you know, a fashion show for years, I haven't been to any trade shows. So, so I'm, on the outside of fashion. All right, and so so we've got the four things now for your cabinet at Carlos Place. Is there anything else that you want to add? You've got pay, passport, paper and pen, camera, your outfits for your shoots. Is there uh, anything else? Um, I'm gonna have to come back to that. I said computer, but I think. Oh yeah, computer. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean. Well, what, you why know, is I, your computer important to you? Well, sadly enough, you know, a few years ago, I remember I never really carried a laptop um, until maybe uh, maybe seven years ago. And um, before that, you know, when I used to go to Morocco, places like that, I felt when I went to my bed in the evening, I would read, I would sketch, I would write. I had no, you know, I feel like I'm on my own. And I remember the first day, when I took my computer back to Morocco and then the first night in bed, I feel I'm not alone anymore. <laughs> Almost like, you know, you're sort of on a net. And sad enough, it's become part of, the, part of the, you know, part of work. It's become the book. It's become research. It's become, so it's sad enough, it's something that is breaking my back because I always have to carry it on my, on my um, rack sack. Um, and I need it for, for work and communicate and stuff like that. So it's um, another thing, I suppose, that's, you know, um, that's needed. Uh, and I'm sure there's better things that I could fall off, but I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and give me a sense of what your life is like today. Um, I, get the, I get the sense that you travel around a lot um, and you have your Riyadh in Marrakesh, you have your home in London. How do you divide your time who are, you, who, who are you hanging out with now? I mean, to be honest with you, uh, there's, a, there's a plan and there's no plan. I mean, I'm literally going back between Morocco and London as the main two bases. But because of work and shows, you end up going different places. And somehow you manage, you know, because you're always, work, you know, as an artist, a lot of the times you're working, you know, you don't have anything in front of you, you're trying to find a gig or a job. You get that and then there's nothing in front of you trying to hunt again and then slowly you get busy and you have like work in front of you for three months and then you sort of have projects for a year in front of you and then you start to manage you know um, your plans your timetable in a sense um so i'm literally you know uh, i mean it's it varies so much that it's uh, it's there's sort of um 
you know, like January, I was packing up show, then I shot for Vogue Arabia covers, and then I had an opening for an artist in Marrakesh, and then I had to fly to Sweden to install and, and uh, you know, do the opening. And it's just a bit crazy like that. So it's quite, <laughs> it's quite nice to not be traveling for, for, for a bit, I have to say. You're in demand. Well, no, 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 but demand, you know, you create your own monster um, in a sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky to have that. As I say, it's, a, it's always a dream for any artist to, because it's not a normal job. So let's say a lot of the time you have gaps, these gaps between work. So, you know, you have something and then that finishes and you have to hunt around for another job and that might take a month or more. So you're really juggling. And then let's say when you get busy and you're sort of start to, have a year in front of you and your diary or sort of have shows coming up and stuff like that to two years you consider yourself very lucky so i don't want to you know sort of sleep on that um to say being really lucky but it's also hard work it's coming up to 20 around 25 years or more of shows back to back and you know lots of uh, producing work and traveling so uh, it wasn't sort of an overnight thing and your um what do you have coming up yeah, no, very weird. So right now, as you can see, my team's here. Um, we, you know, we was locked down. Everything closed. I had loads of shows coming up. I had two solo shows in New York for September and something in December in, uh, in what you call it, in Dubai. And next year, there was a few things. So there was, you know, sort of next, say, till 2022, I had lots of projects. But all that stopped because of the virus. Uh, meanwhile, I've been cleaning up, but I had um, there was one show I was supposed to do in South Korea in July, and they sort of got in touch with me about six weeks ago, and they still wanted to do it, but they just wanted to change it for August. So I was very surprised, but it was good for us because we already had five weeks lockdown. So we just came into the studio, and we sort of we shipped the stuff two days ago, and then also I was supposed to have a show in April in Bristol, like the opening in April, but then that shut down. So on Friday, we have the shippers to take the rest of the work and they're opening on the 31st of, or 30th of July. So, so I have those two things and a couple other projects, you know, like the perfume, Caron, I'm trying to, um, you know, work in while I'm locked down to, you know, to, to keep some money coming in as well. Um, yeah, and I was just waiting for other stuff for next year when once things come back to what's so-called normal. All right, well, thank you so much for talking to me. Pleasure. Speak to you soon. Definitely. Keep in touch. Yeah. Take care. Bye. 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 That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag 5CarlosPlace. Thanks for listening.